No, boldness is saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to use me. I want you to speak through me. And even if I am persecuted, even if I have made fun of, even if I am lied about, even if I am left out, I want to be your faithful servant. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy over the past couple of years. And today is part three and the conclusion of his sermon entitled, A Courageous Witness. As we move closer towards the last days, Pastor Carl reminds us that we must be prepared for persecution, convinced of our salvation, empowered by proclamation, and be a witness of regeneration in order for us to witness to a lost world. Please join us in the book of Acts chapter 4 as we continue. I can't help but think that when he is called upon right now to preach, that what comes to his mind is what Jesus had said a couple months earlier. He said, when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but it is the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are going to be effective in sharing the gospel, when God opens those doors, your heart should be saying, Lord, I need your help right now. Because it is not my wisdom or my skill that brings people into the kingdom of God. It is the Spirit of God. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness, 2,000 more men are saved, up to 5,000, again, including women and children, probably 25,000. Now, who convinced these people? Do you think Peter was so skilled that he brought this great sermon not on your life, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I learned a long time ago that I can never argue a person into the kingdom of God. And if you get into some situation where there's an argument, just stop. You may win the argument, but you'll probably lose the person. Vance Havner used to say, God's called us to be his witnesses, not his lawyers. We are to represent him. And when there's a disdain for the things of God, just pull back. You don't want to bruise the fruit. It's not ready yet. I mean, do you remember what happened on the night, the first time Jesus appeared there in the upper room? All the doors are locked. He just just comes right through the walls. Someday I'll be able to do that. Someday you'll be able to do that because you'll get a body just like Christ, Philippians tells us. He walks in, all the doors are locked, and there he is. Who's missing? Thomas. Thomas comes back later and they said, we, we saw the Lord. He doesn't believe it. You know what he said, unless I can put my hands in his side and touch his, the nail scars of his feet and say, I won't believe it. Now here's all these apostles and all these other godly people who are present, men and women alike. And they can't convince him. But then Jesus a week later comes in and what does he do? He falls on his face And he says, my Lord and my God. Look, if Thomas's friends could not convince him, neither can you. Only the Spirit of God in you, when Christ is present in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We could argue this morning, when you are born again, you are indwelt by God the Father. You are indwelt by God the Son. You are indwelt by God the Spirit. 
But of course, the accent is placed on our dependence on the Spirit of God to make it real. This is the living water. If any of you are thirsty, let him come to me and drink, for out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. These things he spoke concerning the Spirit was not yet given because the Lord Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's what you need. That's what I need, living water to convince people. So if you're to be courageous for Christ, you must be prepared for persecution. You must be empowered for proclamation. Here's your third prayer request for the week. You must be convinced of one salvation. Convinced of one salvation. Let's keep reading. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Peter is simply saying, Jesus healed the man. The miracle was done by his power, the one whom you slew on a cross. So now in verse 11, Peter quotes Psalm 118. Again, you will notice the change in typeset if you have the NASP. And he says, he is the stone, Jesus, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Jesus is no ordinary stone. Peter says he's the chief cornerstone. And a large building in Christ's day could not be put together without it. It was the stone that set all the angles. It gave the building the symmetry and the strength that it needed. And unlike a cornerstone in our day that's just put there as a memorial, maybe to say the year the building was built, no, this massive stone was the stone upon which all the other stones were built upon and locked in. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundational stone. And you cannot build your life apart from building it on the strength and symmetry and significance that he alone is able to give you in this life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And if you're not building your life on Christ, you wonder why it's such a mess. It's real simple. You're on the wrong foundation. Some of us have marriages and families that are falling apart. You're listening somewhere in the country, somewhere in the world. Maybe you came into this church today, and life is just a mess. That's actually the, the entry level for so many visitors. Why'd you come to church here? Oh, my marriage, it's on the brink of a divorce. Build your life on the cornerstone. There are many unhappy people who are trying to cover up unhappiness. They, they think they can find happiness through the neck of a bottle or through some illicit relationship, or they're seeking constantly the God of materialism. And the devil has deceived them. There's no foundation that can be laid other than the one which is laid, Paul says, which is Christ Jesus. And listen, if you preach the cornerstone, some people are going to stumble over it. Let's read further. He proclaims in verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Hold your finger here for a moment and turn to Matthew's gospel, would you? Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And go to Matthew chapter 21 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Matthew, each gospel is written with a different audience in view. And Matthew is the Jewish gospel to demonstrate and prove that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah would have to fulfill. 
Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 23. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, again, you will notice the change in typeset. If you go out into the margin of the NASB, it will tell you, oh, this is from Isaiah chapter 5. And you can go back and read Isaiah 5, and it will make this text pop. Because the vineyard in Isaiah 5, of course, is Israel, and every Jew knew it. Verse 34, let's keep reading. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Now, the slaves, if you know the parable, it represents the Old Testament prophets. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And of course, that refers to the Lord Jesus, God the son. Therefore, he asks, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? The religious man responded, verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay the proceeds at the proper season. He says, you've got it. You've answered correctly. Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And so now Jesus says here in verse 44, and he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. My friend, the Lord Jesus will either be a stepping stone for you into heaven or will be a stumbling, he'll be a stumbling stone for you into hell. You must choose. And if you stumble over him, the text says you, he will scatter you like dust. It's imagery that describes the eternal retribution and the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I know that many people think of Christianity as just another religion in the pantheon of religions, and Jesus just another religious teacher. And they will sometimes argue, well, Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah. If he were the Messiah, more of the 8 billion people on the planet would be following him. Listen, if everyone followed Jesus of Nazareth, I would be absolutely convinced he was not the Messiah because the prophets described in Jesus affirmed here out of Psalm 118 that he would largely be rejected. Many people stumble over the cornerstone. They're offended by what the scripture says of itself. And so here's Peter Notice what he says in Acts 4 and verse 12, back to Acts chapter 4, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when you quote that, people will accuse you of being narrow-minded and unloving. When you tell them that people can only be saved through the Lord Jesus, they'll get mad at you. Listen, it was Jesus who said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For then he said, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. And by the way, he said that in the context of people who identified with Christianity. 
He said, the truth is, is that many are on the broad road that are headed to destruction. You have these mainline denominations that say it's a woman's right to kill the baby in the womb. We have two Presbyterian churches in town that do gay marriages. We have two Baptist churches that deny the infallibility of Scripture. We've got many who are on the broad road. Oh, Jesus doesn't go for that kind of a testimony. He goes for the most dramatic kind of testimony you can think of. So when he closes it off, he says, many will come in my name. They'll, they'll preach sermons in my name. They'll do miracles in my name. They'll cast out demons in my name. By the way, all three of those things the Bible affirms an unbeliever can do. But then he'll say to them, I never knew you. Lost forever. When you say Jesus is the only way, people get mad. But they are saying, in essence, I reject what the Bible says. I reject what the Lord Jesus says. I reject what the apostles say. They're rejecting God's chief cornerstone, the rock of offense. If I say Jesus is the only way, they say you're bigoted, brogy. Listen, if Jesus is not the only way, then he's no way at all. Because Jesus doesn't say I'm a good way. He doesn't say I'm the best way. He says I am the only way to the Father. And if he's not the only way to the Father, then he's no way to the Father. Because he said he is the way, the only way to heaven. And if he's not the only way, he's either deceived or a deceiver. That would make him a sinner. And he could save absolutely no one. Jesus is not one God among many. Barner Research came out and they said now nearly two out of three American adults contend that the choice of one's religious faith over another is irrelevant because all religions basically teach the same thing. And so you'll have people say, well, you know, religious truth is just a matter of your own interpretation. They'll say, I think all the religions of the world are basically the same. They'll sometimes say, well, you know, there are aspects of Christianity that I like, the Sermon on the Mount, some of the things Jesus said about how we should treat one another, but there's a certain dogmatism and intolerance I don't like in the Christian faith. In 2019, the Parliament of World Religions came together. They brought together 6,000 delegates. Who were their chief participants? High school and college students. They meet again in two weeks, by the way. The theme of the last meeting with 6,000 was unite or perish. And they had all these different seminars, over 700 to help the attendees to, to recognize that one religion is as good of another. This is what the Spirit explicitly says in the latter days, that some will fall away from the faith, the body of truth, and they will listen to deceitful spirits, the doctrines of demons. What is the devil doing? He's preparing a generation of young people to give their allegiance to the Antichrist. And in the 700 workshops, the notes were put online. They described Jesus where he's admired, he's quoted, he's favorably compared to other religious teachers, but they describe him as one enlightened man who's to be respected, but not to be worshiped. And Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In two weeks, they meet that group. They're going to do it virtually this year because of COVID. They expect over 100,000 participants. The devil is at work. Salvation and all else. You preach that, you'll be laughed at. You'll be ridiculed. You'll be made fun of. 
You say, well, pastor, does it really matter? Isn't one religion just as good as another? Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one who can forgive your sin. And I'll say to people when they tell me that, I'll say, look, if you're right, if you're right, then it really doesn't matter what I believe. If all religions are basically equal, it doesn't really matter what I believe. But if I'm right, it matters. If you're right, doesn't matter. If I'm right, nothing else matters. This is the only book on the face of the earth that God inspired. It is absolute truth. And if you're not convinced of it, you better study it because it contains within itself the supernatural fingerprints of God Almighty. Finally, if you're to be a courageous witness, you need to be prepared for persecution, empowered for proclamation, convinced about one salvation, but you must be a witness of regeneration, a witness of regeneration. Now look at verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained, meaning they hadn't been to one of their approved rabbinical schools, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They had confidence. The King James renders it boldness. The NIV 84 says courage. The NCV says they were not afraid. Yet they hadn't been to one of the approved rabbinical schools. It was perplexing how these uneducated, untrained rabbis could speak with such authority. And then it hit them like a ton of bricks. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Jesus taught with authority. Do you remember what it said of him in John 7, 15? The Pharisees asked about Jesus and they asked the question, how has this man become learned having never been educated? Remember, they sent the temple guard to arrest Jesus, and they come back empty-handed. Where is he? Never do we ever hear a man preach the way he preaches. And so they recognized that these men had been there with the Lord Jesus. They had witnessed what happens to a person when they are born again and filled with the Spirit. And seeing, verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. It's kind of awkward. We've got these guys in the room. We've got this man who's been healed. No one can deny it. Get him out of the room. Let's get into a holy huddle here. They began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. On the one hand, they can't agree with Peter's sermon that Jesus is the Messiah because their hearts are proud, they're self-righteous, they think they're good enough, and good enough people don't need a Savior. On the other hand, neither could they punish them because the multitudes are following them. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, verse 17. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But my friends, all the forces of hell could not intimidate these men. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. You might as well have said to the sun to stop shining and then to tell these men to stop preaching. 
We're going to tell what we've seen and heard, and that's a great testimony. That's what a witness is. You tell what you've seen and heard. This is not some religious sideshow. They're preaching the good news. Look at verse 21. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. They didn't want to ride on their hands. And on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, these men are unmoved, but they're concerned about public opinion. Like a politician who puts his finger to the air, that's how they base their decisions. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Wow. You know what the tragedy is of 21st century evangelical Christianity? is that God's men and women are silent. We have stopped sharing the gospel. And what you discover through the book of Acts is that evangelism is not just these big meetings. It's just the rank and file people throughout the week after they are scattered through the various places in which they live and work, they speak of the good news. And it's that kind of courage and boldness that Peter and John had that we need. Let me tell you what boldness is not. It's not human persuasion. Every once in a while, someone would say, Pastor Carl, you'd make a really good car salesman. If you ever need a job, you'd make a good car salesman. And they think, like, what I do as a pastor is based on human persuasion, not on your life. It's not some manipulative technique. You say it like this, and you ask this question, and you give this phrase. It's not like that at all. Anything I can talk you into, someone else can talk you out of. The Spirit of God must work in a human's heart. Neither is it arrogance, what some people call boldness, I call brass. Those people... 30 years ago, used to stand down on Bay Street and scream at people when they walked by, and you're a prostitute, look at your dress, and all this stuff. That was not boldness. That was an embarrassment. Neither is it presumption. People say, I show my faith. Look at, look at me handle these snakes. That's stupidity. That's not boldness. No, boldness is saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to use me. I want you to speak through me, and even if I am persecuted, even if I have made fun of, even if I am lied about, even if I am left out, I want to be your faithful servant. Look, do you want to be courageous? Be prepared for persecution. Be empowered. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Let God fully empower your life. Be convinced there's salvation in no one else. You say, what about the people who've never heard? I got a whole booklet on it in the bookstore about the unevangelized. They're lost too. The Bible teaches it. And you need to witness new life regeneration. Let me ask. We're out of time. I went too long. Maybe I didn't. Let me ask a few questions as we close by application. Number one, do you bring joy to God's heart? It's not up there. You can bring up the final. You can turn off the slides. Do you bring joy to God's heart? What brings joy to God the Father's heart? What makes joy in heaven? What is it that gladdens the heart of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? 
Jesus said it in Luke 15, 10, in the context of really three parables put into one, showing how each member of the Godhead, God the Spirit in the searching of the coin, God the Son in the searching of the lost sheep, God the Father and the prodigal son. And he says in the midst of that, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 15, 10. Now, some think that that's what the angels do, that they rejoice. And I suppose they do, but that's not the primary focus of the verse. The Greek pronouns are very specific. It doesn't say there's joy among the angels, but rather there's joy in the presence of the angels. It is the Lord who rejoices like that father who is looking for the son to come home. And it gladdens the heart of God when we're involved in bringing people into the kingdom. Secondly, I would just ask, do you have joy in your heart? Do you have joy in your heart? In Psalm 126, 6, it says, He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, some people have little joy because they have little obedience. Jesus said, when you obey me, your joy will be made full. You know what I find? I find people are always griping about this issue or that issue. They're not involved in the battle. They're just filled with self. You get involved in the work of the kingdom. And you start asking God to use you to bring people into the kingdom. And we'll talk next week about how practically that unfolds. I'm telling you, your heart will overflow with joy. So are you burdened this morning for those who are lost? Do you interact with them? Do you try to make conversation with them? Do you try in any way, shape, or form, try to reach out to them? And let me say, if you're here today and you don't know that heaven is your home, I spoke with someone yesterday. They said, I'm 85% sure I'm going to heaven. I say, come tonight to meet the pastor. If you know much of the Bible, as a general principle, if you're not 100% sure, you're not going. And if you're not certain, there's nothing more important than this. I mean, what is more important than knowing that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that if the trumpet of God were sounded today, that you would be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? There's nothing more important, and there's nothing more important that you can share. Now, Father, we don't want to be a church that is not involved in bringing the lost into the kingdom. So we need your help. We want to be an obedient people. And Father, if in our hearts we've written it off for someone else to do and to not own the great commission of going and making converts or disciples of all people, then change our convictions beginning today. Help us with the Apostle Paul to pray for open doors of opportunity and when they come that we might make the gospel clear as we are filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his honor and glory. Amen. We hope that you will join us tomorrow for part one of Sharing Christ Consistently. We will be in the book of Acts chapter 8 verses 25 through 40. If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-2000.
888-888-7478 and requesting program A Courageous Witness. Remember that you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.